Today's uh, scripture is in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. But good news come to us just to them, just as to them, that the message they heard did not benefit them because they have they were not united by faith with those who listened. But we who have believed entered the rest, and he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward. In the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua has given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So for then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we um, begin with uh, uh, to enter this uh, passage and to uh, meditate upon this passage, We pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth, uh, give us a clarity of mind, and open the eyes of our hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have been a Christian for a while, you must must have met some new Christians or or probably some non-Christians. You might say something like this. Clearly, the Sabbath is on Saturday which is the last day of the week, then why do we Christians worship God on Sunday? I don't know if people ask you that kind of question. People ask me that kind of question all the time. Every single year, I have some people that would ask me that kind of question. So when you're faced with that kind of question, how would you answer it? How could you give a defense for the fact that we worship on Sundays and not on Saturday? Now, in the Bible, we see that uh, both uh, God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, and the church in the New Testament, kept the Sabbath. Now, in the Old Testament, God's, God's people kept the Sabbath on Saturday. But in the New Testament, New Testament, the Sabbath we keep is on Sunday. And by the end of the apostolic era, uh, by the time you get to Revelation, uh, uh, Chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, John, the apostle John, used the term the Lord's Day to describe the New Testament Sabbath day. So, so did the New Testament church arbitrarily move the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? Was there a good theological reason for it? Why, why did the apostle use the Lord's Day to describe Sunday? And what does this have to do with Jesus' claim that the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath? 
What did Jesus mean by the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath? All these are very reasonable questions. So to understand this and to answer, answer the question, why do we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, we have to go back to the original commandment concerning the Sabbath, which is in Exodus uh, chapter 20. Now in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we read, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now you see, notice that the, uh, in this uh, uh, Exodus 20, the principle of Sabbath rest is based on what God did at creation. The principle of Sabbath rest is based on what God did at creation. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that in them, and rested on the seventh day. So, uh, so creation from Sunday, which is the first day of the week, to Friday. And then God finished his creative work and he rested on Saturday, which is the last day of the week. So the Israelites naturally kept the Sabbath on Saturday. It's a perfectly, makes perfect sense, perfectly logical. Then, then why did the early church keep the Sabbath on Sunday? I'm sure you've, uh, you've, uh, people have asked you that kind of question. <laughs> So how, could you, how, how would you go about answering that? Well, the answer to that is that we have to note in the uh, Exodus 20, in the original commandment concerning the Sabbath, God only commanded his people to work for six days and rest on the seventh day. God did not say which day of the week is the seventh day. Only that we are supposed to work for six days, then uh, rest on the uh, Sabbath day. Now, why did the early Christians move the Sabbath to Sunday then? Well, they did it for a perfectly good theological reason. There's a reason for it. And the reason is in Hebrews chapter 4, which we have just read. <clears throat> now, and, uh, and in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, uh, verse 8, we read, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the question is, the Old Testament saints already have the Sabbath day. After Moses gave them the commandments. So, but the writer of Hebrews says, no. Besides that day, there's another day. There's another day that's, uh, that's a Sabbath day. So uh, verse 9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So, verse 9 says, There's another day, another Sabbath rest for the people of God. So... Uh, so what the writer of Hebrews is telling his audience, <laughs> readers, that God has set another day besides Saturday as the Sabbath day, and God promised that they will enter, uh, 
uh, that, uh, that rest that God has promised. So, now, why is it that God has promised that the rest? Uh, well, the God has promised this rest in this new Sabbath day because God's people didn't get the rest that God intended for them. God's people in the Old Testament didn't get the rest that God has promised for them. <clears throat> and this is, uh, this is this new Sabbath day. They will finally get the rest that God has prepared for them. <clears throat> now, what kind of rest that God has prepared for them? <clears throat> Verse 10 gives us the clue. Verse 10 so, uh, says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also, has also rested from his work as God did from him. His. But the question is, have you and I rested from our work as God did from his? Did God finish his creation days, creative work for six days, rested on the seventh, and then go back and start doing the creation work again? No. No. Okay? So, you see, we, we did not rest from our works as God did from his. See, the rest that uh, God, God wanted his people to have is not a temporary break from work. What we are getting now on Sunday is a temporary break from our work. And for most of you, the break ends probably after dinner tonight. All right? So because many of you start making, uh, thinking about what you need to do next week and probably uh, things are due on Monday. <laughs> And for those of us who are compulsive organizers, probably on Sunday night you start making a list of the things that you need to do on the coming week. <clears throat> so, so we're, getting, we're getting a break right now. We did not rest like God who rested after his creative work. So, so we, have to, we have to understand. The key phrase that we have to understand is, what does God mean by, for whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his work as God did from his. In Genesis 1, we see that God works and that God finished his creative work. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he has done. This refers to God's work of creation. And God's crowning achievement in his creative act is humankind. Humankind are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's the implication of, of human beings being made in the image of God? Um, uh, this image of God can, be, uh, can be, have two aspects to it. One aspect is that uh, some of our attributes uh, are like God's. God is all-knowing. We can know. Uh, God is righteous. We know what righteousness is. God is faithful. We know what faithful is. We, can, we have rationality. We have emotions. <laughs> we have logic. And we have all, all those things. That's one aspect. God is a personal God. We are a personal being. We have self-awareness. We have self-determination. So that's the noun aspect of what being image of God means. Now there's a verb aspect. The verb aspect is that we imitate God in our doing, in what we do. We imitate God. Now, God created the whole universe out of nothing from just speaking. 
Uh, we cannot do that. We cannot create anything out of nothing. So, but we can imitate God and be creative. Now, what do we do? Well, we take what God has made in nature and turn it into cultural products. We turn what God has made in nature into cultural products. Uh, uh, God created uh, uh, trees. And, and uh, we, we used the trees that we made timber. So we got beautiful pews that we're sitting on. We got a nice roof overhead. We can admire this wonderful timber. They don't use, they don't use that kind of material to build churches anymore. Uh, so now we, are to, we are to imitate God. Uh, now God, uh, God commanded us in Genesis 1.28, God commanded uh, uh, hu- uh, humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and to have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, this is what we usually call the cultural mandate. Right? Uh, the theologians have called this the cultural mandate, Genesis 1.28. Now when we read that, uh, this verse, it says God wants us to have dominion of the rest of creation. <clears throat> you know, sometimes people look at the word dominion have a bad connotation to it. it, it, it when people uses dominion, they think of in terms of coercion or force, being forced to do something, uh, intrusion, that type of thing, like, like what's going on in Ukraine, or what happened to the Uyghurs in the Xinjiang province in China. But to have dominion in the original sense is not bad, because to have a dominion is a verb. And that verb shares the same word root as a noun, and the noun is king. So to be dominion, to have dominion of the rest of creation means that, it means that we human beings are to act like benevolent kings toward the rest of the creation, that we are to rule over them, that we are to rule over them on behalf of God. In, in, in doing so, in exercising our dominion over the rest of creation, we glorify God. Um, so, so what we do, well, we turn uh, what occur in nature into products. Uh, we have, uh, God has made iron, we dig up the iron, we refine it in the refinery, we make steel out of it. So we've got this microphone with a nice steel, gooseneck, and all that stuff. Uh, we, uh, we have God has made oil in the ground, we uh, pump it out, and we make plastic out of it. And inside this microphone, there's a very thin diaphragm that's uh, picking up the sound waves. We have good plastic products. Um, we, God made sand. We take sand, we refine it, we made it into pure silicon, and then we make semiconductor out of it. Then we put a whole bunch of semiconductor together, and we have, my goodness, a cell phone. A cell phone, right? So, so now the cell phone has enslaved us, at least the smart ones, anyhow. And gone is a 40-hour work week. That, 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 that labor have worked so hard to get. And now it's like every waking moment, uh, your boss can get hold of you, and you have to respond to email right away. So, uh, so this is what we do. We, we, we take nature, and we make it into a cultural products. We make it into <laughs> to gizmos, gadgets, etc. So, and we are supposed to do this to the whole entire creation. Now, you see, uh, in the Bible, we see that the history of human, uh, humankind started with people, Two people in the Garden, garden of Eden. We have Adam and we have Eve. 
uh, what's, what, what happens to humanity at the end, at the end of uh, uh, time? Well, in the Revelation, <laughs> in the end of Revelation, we see, that, we see that God's people live in the city. It's called the New Jerusalem. So, so, uh, so human beings, we're supposed to take in nature, make cultural products. We're supposed to end up in the civilization. We live in a civil society. Eventually, we, we all live in the city. So salvation does not mean that, that God is going to take us back into the Garden of Eden. No. No, Garden of Eden is what we started out with. Okay? And the city is where we ended up with. And the city, of course, complete with all the technology that, that makes the city work. So, um, so the, by the end of human history, we, uh, we would have completed the cultural mandate, and we're supposed to enter into rest because humanity's work is done. We are done just like God has done his work and enter into rest. <clears throat> so this is, this is how we're supposed to imitate God in our doing. And God's people finally will also one day rest, rest from their works as God did from his. So in the Bible, we see this pattern. We see that God, God work. God finished his work, and God rest. So we human beings who are made in the image of God, we're supposed to work the cultural mandate. We're supposed to finish the work, finish the cultural mandate. Uh, we're supposed to enter into rest. Now, if Adam and Eve didn't sin, this is how the human history would have worked out. But as we know, a bad thing, terrible thing happened in the, in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve have sinned. So the consequence of Adam's sin is that, is that um, the sin has corrupted our hearts. So instead of uh, living for God and fulfilling the cultural mandate in response to God's calling, we become self-centered. We no longer are God-centered, but we become self-centered. We live for ourselves. Instead of ruling over the rest of creation on behalf of God as a benevolent king, we end up pillaging the nature. We end up with toxic uh, landfills and uh, pollution and plastic in the ocean and all those, all those problems that humanity have created. So outwardly, outwardly, humanity, the fallen humanity are still doing the fulfilling of the cultural mandate because newer and newer stuff are still coming out. We got newer gadgets, better Wi-Fi modems, uh, uh, routers, and so on and so forth. And some people would even say that, that, that they are advancing technology at a frightening pace, at a frightening pace. <clears throat> but, but although we are doing these things that fulfilling the cultural mandate, we are not doing it for the glory of God and in obedience to God. So our work of turning God's nature into culture is supposed to be an enjoyable one. Our work is supposed to be enjoyable, enjoyable one. But because of Adam's sin, our work has become a burden. And after Adam's sin, God pronounced his sentence. In Genesis 3.17, God said to Adam, he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground up because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of you <clears throat> you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now why did God put this curse? Because, because you, God is here in creation, humanity is here, and the rest of creation here. And God, and humanity is supposed to, uh, to, to rule over the rest of creation on behalf of God, <laughs> in obedience to God's command. But what happened is Adam and Eve rebel against God. They, <clears throat> they rebel against God, so what did God do? God made the rest of creation rebel against humanity. So the punishment is the crime. So what we end up with is frustration. What we end up with is frustration in our work. So this, from that point on, from that point on, man's work is cursed. Although the fallen humanity was still fulfilling the cultural mandate, but our work has become a burden. God says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. So our labor is all life long. And then and the, the whole, uh, whole entire work life is full of toils and trouble. In Psalm 90, this is what Moses said of life in Psalm 90, that our life is full of toil and trouble. So, so humanity failed because Adam has sinned. But God doesn't fail. God will never fail. So the cultural mandate that God has given to humanity will be completed. It will be completed. How? Well, Jesus came. Jesus lived a sinless life for us, for God's people, and died for, our, uh, for us on the cross. Then the Holy Spirit applied the finished work of Christ in God's people. And this, uh, uh, this started with our regeneration, when the Holy Spirit regenerates and put God's life in us. By putting our life in us through the, uh, through the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, God transforms our heart. Uh, uh, God changes our heart and gives us a new heart. In Ezekiel uh, 36, verses 26 to 27, God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my stat uh, statutes and uh, be careful to obey my rules. So the re, as a result, of, a result of the regeneration of a corrupted heart, that, that we, we who have been born uh, through the Holy Spirit, we have been born of God, we can start to learn and to start to living a God-centered life. And Paul uh, says, Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's why this morning you are sitting here, you're worshiping God as he has commanded us, and not out there doing shopping or something like that. So, so now, when we do our work, when you and I do our work, whether this work is cleaning the a church building today before you go home, or you, or, you, or, you, or, you, or you mow the lawn, or you do the dishes, or you change the diapers, or you're uh, dealing with uh, uh, reply the emails that's in your computer, when we do this work, we are fulfilling the cultural mandate. We're fulfilling the cultural mandate. Whether the work is done in your yard, your home, or your workplace. And one day, as we see in the Bible, the cultural mandate will be completed. And we who are in Christ will be in the new Jerusalem. Now we will finish the work that God has tasked 
humanity in Genesis 1.28, the cultural mandate. And then, and then we will enter into the true rest that God has intended for us. This is what the Hebrews chapter, <clears throat> chapter 4 verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. As God did from his. <clears throat> so, now you understand why <clears throat> Jesus proclaimed the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath. <clears throat> why is that? Because Christ is the one who purchased our eternal rest with his blood. Colossians 1.19 to 20 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now verse 20 is particularly important. Why is that? Because God did not just make peace with his people. Through Christ, God made peace with the entire creation. God made peace to, uh, to, to the entire creation through, uh, through Christ. So verse 20, I'm going to read it again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The day that God's people are assured of this Sabbath rest that God has promised is the day that Christ resurrected from the dead. And that is on the first of seven, the first day of the week, which is on Sunday, which is on Sunday. See, there's a perfectly good theological reason why the early church observed the Sabbath on the Lord's Day on Sunday and not Saturday, because of Christ. Because of Christ. <clears throat> so, as we put the whole Bible together and look at the topic, we see that the Old Testament Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath look back and remember God's original creative act. But the New Testament Sabbath look toward the future, toward the final rest that God's people are going to have, to the rest that one day God's people will rest from their work as God did from his. The original creation was corrupted by Adam's fall. So God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, become a new creation. Become a new creation. And this new creation starts where? It starts with the regeneration of God's people's hearts. So if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's part of the new creation. God has already started this work. He started this work when the Holy Spirit regenerated you, regenerated me, and we are part of the new creation. And what God has started, one day he will complete. Our heart will be totally transformed. We will struggle with sin no more. We will rest from our work. We'll inherit the new heaven and new earth. And every single day is going to be a weekend. <laughs> There's no more Monday. There's no more going back to the office and we have 200 emails waiting for you to answer it, so and so forth. So we have to understand that the Sabbath rest we're keeping now on this side of eternity 
It's a type. It's a type. It's a type for the final reminder. It's a reminder to us that the ultimate, the ultimate Sabbath is not every Sunday when we gather here. The ultimate Sabbath is all of us resting in the new heaven and new earth. <clears throat> so now you can understand why in the Old Testament God made Sabbath a sign of his, for his people. It's a permanent sign between God and his people. And keeping the Sabbath now, keeping the Sabbath now, points to and reminds us that one day, one day, we will not just get a break on Sunday. One day we will finish the work that God has tasked humanity. And we will get the eternal rest that Christ has purchased for us. So keeping the Sabbath on Sundays reminds us of God's two great work, the work of creation and the work of redemption. And you can look at redemption as recreation, as recreation. So keeping the Sabbath reminds us that, that, that God, it is God who created us. God owns us because he created us. And God, the benevolent God has given us rules for us to live a blessed life. Mm. Now, if a non-Christian asks you, why can't you join them in their activity on Sunday? Mm. And you, tell it, you can tell them. You can tell them because Jesus is your Lord, and he commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And one day, one day, you will enter true rest, eternal rest, true rest, <clears throat> that God has promised you through Lord Jesus Christ, that your Lord has purchased for you. See, this is a good way to start evangelism and tell about the gospel. Sabbath rest, eternal rest, is one aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sabbath rest, keeping the Sabbath now, reminds us, also reminds, it's a weekly reminder that the true rest that God has promised God's people has yet to come. But now, even keeping the Sabbath rest has spiritual benefit of God's people. We come to church to worship God. It's not because God would be lonely if we didn't sing to him together. Uh, probably many of us sing off-key. I know. <laughs> I know our pianists can understand those notes, but I cannot. I flunk music. I cannot read those notes. But it's a, it's a, it's a, re, re, a weekly reminder. We have spiritual ben- uh, benefit. We, we come to Christ and we, we, uh, God reminds us of the eternal rest. We come to church and we, uh, we hear the gospel and we are assured uh, that Christ has completed all the work that's necessary and purchased for us this eternal rest. And physically, keeping the Sabbath is also God's blessing for us physically. See, God designed us to work for six days and to rest for one day. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for men, not meant for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for men and men not made for Sabbath. The benevolent God gave this command for our benefit. God himself set an example for us. Do you really think God needed six days to do creative work? <laughs> Could he do it in six seconds? Six picoseconds? God can do it instantly. 
created the whole creation. Okay, and did God really need the rest on the seventh day? You know, I mow the lawn, and after mowing the front lawn, I got to take a rest before I know the backyard. I'm just getting old. <laughs> and every year, my body reminds me I'm getting older and older. So, you know, God, God made us to work for six days and to rest for seventh day. Now, in, in the, there's a city in southern China called Shenzhen. There's a lot of factory over there. A lot of the electronics that you and I use, the iPhones, the, the Foxconn, it's got this huge assembly building over there. And, and if you visit over there and you visit those factory dormitories, by the way, the, peop the people that get hired by the company, they work on the assembly line and they go sleep in the dormitory together <laughs> in the dormitory. They're like college dorm, except they get four, maybe six, eight people to a, to a, to a room. Now, people that have visited, a foreigner have visited there and find out there are nets between these buildings. And they ask, what, what's that for? And those are called suicide nets. They are called suicide nets because, because they, the, the factory worked the labor so hard that these people are just like modern-day slaves for the new pharaoh, the electronic pharaoh, that they work day after day after day. And many of them just commit suicide by jumping off the buildings. That's why they have these uh, suicide nets between these buildings. This, is, uh, this, uh, this, this kind of work is not good for us. It's not good for us. So God, uh, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for men. Uh, men, not men for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you and my benefit. It's for our blessing. Now, now you have to understand how good news this is to the original reader of, uh, uh, of the Pentateuch of Moses' books. Because what were they doing? What were the original reader were doing? Well, they just got out of Egypt. What were they doing in Egypt? Did they have labor unions negotiated with the Pharaoh over their wages? And how many days of vacation a year did they get? No, they were slaves. These people were slaves. And they weren't sitting in front of a computer typing keyboard all day in an air-conditioned office. They were working under the Egyptian sun. It's very hot. And they were doing very hard labor. Probably many of them are moving stones. They didn't have their free time. Their time is owned by their master. Aside from the time they get to sleep, they have to work they don't have time off. They don't have labor union. They don't have OSHA laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, God delivered them. God delivered them. Now, God only not delivered them, brought him to Sinai, and God says, you worship the Lord, and God will give you seven and a half weeks of paid vacation a year. Now, how many of you have seven and a half a week of paid vacation a year? <laughs> probably none, right? You start a new job, probably you get maybe, what, 10 days? <laughs> you work for 10 years, maybe you get three weeks, right? <laughs> you maybe for 40 years, maybe you get a whole month off, maybe. But, but see, God gave his people seven and a half weeks of paid vacation a year. How's that? Well, there are 52 Sabbath days in a year. Seven days in a week. And the math worked out to be seven and a half 
week of paid vacation a year. And not only that, if your boss, if your boss make you work on a Sabbath day, he's violating the law of God. He's violating the law of God. How is that for protecting the, the rights of the laborers? So God gave God's people a day to worship and to rest. One day out of seven to work and rest. Well, this is wonderful news to the original reader of, of Exodus. You and I also have seven and a half weeks of paid vacation a year. Don't give it up and give it to your boss. Take it. Take it. It's yours. It's for your benefit. It's for your rest. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for men, not meant for Sabbath. God doesn't need to rest. We do. God has said one, one day out of Sabbath was to come before him and to rest in him. God wants to bless us. God wants to rest and to worship him. And hear the gospel being preached to us. Now today's sermon on the Sabbath rest is just one aspect of the gospel. It is the gospel that gives us hope. And without hope, we, we can cope with the daily thorns and thistles that's coming our way. And this is what we face in this fallen world. But the good news of Jesus Christ is we have hope. We have guaranteed by our Lord and Savior to enter into this eternal rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that we who have, uh, have been your enemy in the past, we have uh, opposed you. We have rebel against you, but now because of Christ and because of your election that we we who are in Christ, we have been adopted by you we have been born by the Holy Spirit we have your nature in us we have the hope that is in the gospel and we know one day, although we, we, we live this fallen world we hear bad news every day on the news, whether it's, uh, it's war over there in Ukraine or it's a mass shooting, another mass shooting in another city, but we know that one day we will enter into eternal rest. There'll be no more wars, no more pandemic, no more failing, frail bodies. We'll get a new body just like the resurrected body of our Lord, and we'll live. You will live with us forever and ever. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.